my favorite bourbon, my least favorite scotch, and the best whiskey for cocktails? Those are just a few of the questions that we will be talking about in this episode of Whiskey Noobs. But before we get to that, for those of you who are new here, my name is Chris and I'm the host of the show. This episode is one of many frequently asked question episodes that I do. I do these once a month and you can submit a question on Instagram at whiskey underscore noobs by submitting the question to my story where I will have a question sticker every Wednesday. So that is how I receive these questions and thank you to everybody who has submitted them and I will get to these questions in just a moment but because this is not an episode where I am doing a beginning to end review of a whiskey I will of course be doing a mystery tasting of a whiskey where you can try to guess what that whiskey is based on the notes that I give. So I'm going to do a few quick notes of this one that I'm tasting right now. So on the nose, this is actually pretty soft. It's got just a little bit of sharpness to it, but mostly soft with some nice candy, very pale, sweet flavors. On the palate, I have more of those candy-type flavors, a little bit of almost a like pastry, like a white sugar type of a flavor, along with those, those candy-type flavors. And that's as specific as I'm going to get for right now. And if I didn't mention it earlier, this is a whiskey that has been on the show, so you can scroll back through the episode list. Usually I keep it fairly recent. This isn't going to be from like the first 10 or 20 episodes. Um, fairly recently on the show, and you can scroll back through, try to see what whiskey you think matches it, and hopefully that helps your blind tasting skills a little bit. But without further ado... Let's get to the questions, or for this first one, the statements. Uh, this person commented on a story post that I had in the background of the story post was a bottle of Sazerac rye from the Buffalo Trace Distillery. And the first two people had very similar comments to say about this. The first person said, don't drink baby Sazerac, referring to Sazerac rye, straight up. It's terrible. So they're saying, don't drink it straight. It's terrible. And the second person said about this bottle, why do people think that hazmat level bottles are so special? Well, let me tell you, I appreciate these two comments because I did not know that there were people out there or that in general, maybe uh, folks don't like Sazerac rye. I know for sure folks I've talked to who enjoy it, but I didn't know there was a like following of people out there who don't like it. And I think that just goes to show how very different some of our palates are because I absolutely love Sazerac rye in its price range. I want to say in its price range. As I always mention with anything from the Buffalo Trace Distillery, I don't pay secondary prices for their things 99% of the time. I haven't yet. There might be situations where maybe I would, but up to now I haven't ever paid secondary pricing for Buffalo Trace uh, items, any Buffalo Trace product. And so in its price range, I really enjoy Sazerac rye. I think it's pretty easy to drink uh, for a rye. It's got some nice, bold, smooth flavors to it. I don't mind it at all. Uh, so I am sorry for the first two people who did not enjoy it, but I appreciate you sharing your opinion, and it just goes to show how different people's palates are. The next two I am also going to group together because they do ask the same question, essentially. So the next question is, what are your favorite and least favorite scotches and bourbons? And then the one after that was just, what's my least favorite scotch? So I'm just going to loop that in with my favorite and least favorite scotches and bourbons. 
So let's start with the least favorites because I feel like those are so much easier for me to say than my favorites. Favorites actually take me some time to think about. My least favorite scotch is probably Johnny Walker Red Label. I haven't had it for quite a while, but that was because the last time I had it, I really did not enjoy it. So I think Black Label is decent. Um, I've had it on the show multiple times, but Red Label, I just did not enjoy. I didn't think it was worth it. I thought if I'm going to be drinking Johnny Walker, I'll move up to the Black Label for sure. Then my least favorite bourbon. There are a plethora that I could say, most of which would just be extremely inexpensive. So I'm going to add a little asterisk and say my least favorite bourbon over like $20-$25. And that, surprisingly enough, what's coming to mind is just regular run-of-the-mill Maker's Mark. And that's not because it's bad. It's just because in its price range, I find I like so many other bourbons. Um, There are so many bourbons in the $20 to $30 range that I really enjoy. And I just think Maker's, the normal Maker's, does not measure up. Now, that's not to say that Maker's Mark doesn't have good stuff. And in its price range... Normal Makers isn't bad by any means. I just think it gets outmatched by so many different ones. Now, Makers Mark Distillery does have other good things. Um, If you've been around for a while, you know that I love Makers 46, and it's just a few more dollars. And that's probably why, similar to how with the Johnny Walker Red, I would just pay the few extra dollars for Johnny Walker Black. Uh, With Makers Mark, I would just pay the few extra dollars for Makers 46, which is finished. It's not just a plain run-of-the-mill bourbon, but um, I like it a whole lot more (laughs) than normal Makers Mark. The next question, would you be a guest on our podcast, The Barrel Brothers? Possibly I would. Shoot me a DM on Instagram, and I do get DM requests on Instagram that I can approve. So if I'm not following you, shoot me a DM, and we can talk about that and see if we can work it into the schedule. The next question, have I been to any distilleries? I, yes and no. So I'm assuming you mean in the form of like a tour of the distillery. And unfortunately, I have not been to any in that capacity yet. I've got quite a few planned that I want to get to. My schedule just hasn't allowed for it yet. Um, But I have also been to a local distillery, but not a tour of it, just in like the tasting room of it and tried some of their stuff. But I'm really, really hoping to get to some more distilleries here very soon, especially as the weather gets cold, less yard work, um, less outdoor. I'm a very outdoorsy person in the summertime, so I spend quite a bit of my weekend outdoors. So once the weather gets colder here, I really want to make it a goal to visit some distilleries this fall and winter and hopefully be able to document that, put it on TikTok and put it on Instagram and talk about it on the podcast. That way you guys know about those distilleries that I visited. So hopefully we'll be seeing that coming soon. But as of now, unfortunately, I've not done any tours. The next question, what has been my most disappointing high dollar purchase? Well, what I will say is that nowadays, any high dollar purchase I make, I'm very careful about it. I try to make sure that it's in a category that I'm probably going to like. I talk about this a lot when I talk about starting a collection as inexpensively as possible. I say, you know, you always want to try to try out different things on the middle shelf level. That way, when you move to the upper shelf, you have an idea of what it is that you like. But there is one that stands out above the rest. And I'm not trying to beat up this brand so much today. I swear, I absolutely love Johnny Walker Black. But Johnny Walker Blue Label, for me, is a disappointment for its price. I think it's delicious. I did a blind tasting. It beat Johnny Walker Black in a blind tasting. Um, I did it against Double Black. It beat Double Black in a blind tasting. I'm not saying it's bad. 
but it's just so so expensive. It's a it's the product of really good marketing, in my opinion. Do I think it tastes better than Johnny Walker Black? Absolutely. If you put a glass of each in front of me, would I take the blue? Absolutely. But it's just very 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 highly priced for what it is and i haven't yet done it versus johnny walker green which might be coming up soon because i do want to try it and i have heard that green is better than blue and significantly less expensive so i will be trying that probably at some point but that is probably the most disappointing just because of how expensive it was i don't want to give off the impression it wasn't good it was delicious but it's so expensive for um for how good black is compared to it. The way that I actually have heard it put about cigars before, and I'll put it the same way for whiskey is, is blue significantly better than black? I would say pretty significantly, but blue is, I think six times the price of Johnny Walker black is blue. A bottle of blue label worth six bottles of black label to me. No, it is not. (laughs) The next question should unfortunately be a quick one. Um, Which whiskey do I recommend in Los Angeles? I'm assuming you mean like a distiller from Los Angeles and none come to mind. I'm not aware of any that I've had from LA. If you want to know about any specific ones, let me know and I'll try to get my hands on them. But I am clear on the other side of the country. So I I don't have really any ties to Los Angeles distilleries by any means. Uh, So I'm not familiar with any of them off the top of my head at least. The next question is, what do I think of a liquor store but bourbon slash whiskey only? I'm torn about this concept. I think it's a great concept in the fact that I would love to go to a liquor store that I know if I'm going there, the thing that the liquor store stands for and the thing that all the customers stand for is the same thing that I go to a liquor store for. It's for whiskey and for bourbon. Um, and I would love to have a liquor store with a better selection than I do have around me. There's, there's a couple liquor stores with really good selections around me. Don't get me wrong, but I'd love to have one with an even better selection. But the other side of that coin is a lot goes on with liquor stores. Um, especially when it comes to like allocations and things where you want to put through in order to get better allocations, you got to put through a large amount of volume. And so it would probably be difficult for one of those liquor stores, if it was just whiskey and bourbon, to put through enough volume to get the good allocations and the rare stuff. So I don't know. I think it would be really cool. I think it's a really neat idea. Um, But I think it would have to be executed very carefully. This next question I will probably spend a little bit of time on. So buckle up. Is there a type of whiskey that makes better cocktails than other whiskeys? So the answer, this is like a super loaded question, which is why I say I might spend some time on it. This is a super loaded question because the answer is absolutely yes. But the way you word it, the answer is kind of no. Like, is there an outright whiskey that makes better cocktails than all other whiskeys? No. But for each cocktail, there is a best whiskey for that cocktail. So a great example of this would be make five old fashions with five different whiskeys. Let's say three bourbons and two ryes. You're going to have five very different old fashions. There's absolutely a best whiskey for each cocktail. It varies by person because it depends on what you want. And it varies by cocktail. For old fashions, I really like a good sweet bourbon if I want it to be desserty. I like a high rye bourbon if I want it somewhere in the middle. And I like a rye if I want it to be a little bit more dry, a little bit less of a dessert. 
that's just the way that I approach old fashioned specifically. There's probably a best whiskey out there for you for a whiskey sour and for anything else. A gold rush is another one that I really like. Every cocktail is going to have a best whiskey for it. But at the end of the day, it comes down to what it is that you're looking for and what type of a cocktail it is. A lot of times, I think the best way to figure this out is to look up the cocktail that you're thinking of specifically and look at different recipes from different mixologists and get an idea of what they're using. Maybe try to get an idea of what they're going for. Like I said with the old fashioned, are they going for desserty or are they going for a little bit more dry? If you can get an idea of that, then you can get a good idea of what it is that that mixologist recommends. Because at the end of the day, I focus a lot more on whiskey than I do on mixology. I do enjoy making quality cocktails and I spend some time with it, but you're going to want to, similar to figuring out which type of whiskeys to try, where you'll listen to me and you'll listen to other influencers and you'll say, well, he said this one tastes like caramel and I like caramel, so I'm going to try that. Similar to that, I would look up the cocktail and say, okay, this person's doing this and it seems like it's a little bit more of a dessert. This person's doing this and it seems a little bit more fruity, whatever it is that you're looking for and go from there. And then from there, you can probably pick a good whiskey to try with it, or at least perhaps get a type of whiskey. Maybe you see that three of your favorite TikTok mixologists all used a high rye bourbon and you're like, oh, that's the one that I'm going to use for this. That could be the case. And that is how I'd recommend going about that. This next question, unfortunately, another quick one is my thoughts on English whiskey. I have not had any English whiskey. And you may have heard me talk about before the selection of overseas whiskey, at least around me, and I think pretty much for the whole state of Ohio, is not the greatest. Uh, I even don't have a great selection of uh, scotch. It's hard for me to find any Lowland scotches, and I don't know if I can find any Campbelltown scotches. I've looked before and not been able to. And when it came to Lowland, it was very, very slim pickings uh, in my area. So I have not had English whiskey. I know I've been asked before about Australian whiskey as well. I just haven't been able to find any. There's all kinds of whiskeys that I have on my list for if I go out of state and go to an area that has a better selection. But at the very least in Ohio, not the greatest selection. And overseas in general in America is going to be harder for us to find, I feel like. But obviously I was born and raised in Ohio. So the most that I know is Ohio. And not the greatest selection here. So if you have a specific English whiskey that you want me to try to hunt down, let me know and I will try to find it if I can. I really appreciate the person who asked this next question. How can we best support your content and brand? Well, that is a great question. First and foremost, the absolute easiest way that I just ask everybody does is leave a rating or review on Spotify or on Apple Podcasts slash iTunes, whatever. That is the easiest and absolute best way to support me in terms of growing the podcast. Because I was just looking the other day, actually, and I realized that I did have some ratings on Spotify. And I'm so grateful to all the people who gave me a rating on Spotify. But I just thought to myself, you know, I have a pretty good idea of the number of people who are subscribed to this podcast and who listen every week. And if each one of those people gave a rating or a review, it could do pretty big things for the podcast. So if you could just take a minute of your time and do that, that is super appreciated. If not, I get it. I've listened to dozens of podcasts without rating them. I understand where you're coming from. But as a podcaster, I now go through and rate those podcasts because I understand how important it is. 
It's so helpful. A rating is great. A review is even better with some kind words or anything. That is the first way that you can support the show. The second way would be liking, following, and sharing on all the social media platforms. That doesn't need to be sharing a link to the podcast, but it could just be liking something on TikTok, liking something on Instagram, sending it to a friend because you think it's funny or informative or something like that, helping you spread the word in those ways. And then lastly, I do actually have a monetary way to support the show nowadays. I never used to, but I was asked for some merchandise and to make it available to people. So I did do that. And there is an Etsy store, which can be found at the link in my Instagram bio and my TikTok bio for merchandise. So you can get to the Etsy store through there. And you can get hats, shirts, and Glen Cairns, which are currently out of stock, but I'm hoping to restock here soon. All the money from the Etsy basically goes right back into the podcast. I can use it to buy whiskey. I can use it for some renovations that will hopefully be happening here soon to improve the tech that I have and the studio that I have and really put it back into the podcast and hope to grow the brand. So thank you for asking that question. I don't want to spend too much time on it because I'm sure there's people hitting the 15-second button right now, but I really, really, really appreciate those who are supporting the show and helping to keep things going and helping to not just keep them going, but get them going faster and get the show growing. Um, It's pretty amazing where the show is currently at versus where it was a year ago. I of course, wanted it to grow as fast as it has, but I didn't know if it was possible, and I didn't think for sure that it would. And I'm very grateful to all of you who have supported the show and helped it come as far as it has. So that's my plug for you guys. Thank you so much to everybody who has supported the show. Even something as simple as posting these questions and asking them on Instagram is great and gives me content for this episode and allows me to answer questions that specifically you guys want to hear the answers of. That is all for that. I'll hop off my soapbox. Moral of the story is thank you all who do support the show. And let's move on to the next question. Which type or brand of flask would you recommend using if you had to use one? I actually have kind of a lot of flasks, I feel like. But the type or brand really depends on the situation. So I use camping like type camping style flasks a lot. These are the ones you get at Walmart. They're like Stanley brand and they're pretty big. They hold kind of a lot of liquid. I use those most of the time if I'm just transporting it, let's say to like a friend's house or to my parents because I like my dad drinks whiskey, as I've mentioned before, those sorts of things. Then I just use those bigger flasks. Um, If I'm taking it somewhere, not necessarily trying to sneak it into anywhere, but if I'm taking it somewhere where I want to be discreet, a great example is a wedding where I want it to look discreet. Maybe I'm wearing a suit jacket and I don't want people seeing it. Um, Then I'll use like a small hip flask. And specifically, I have a small uh, hip flask that... I got when I got all my groomsmen gifts, I got like matching set for all of us. So it's just this one from Amazon that wasn't overly expensive and does the job. So I don't have any specific flasks that I'm like, these are the best. But depending on the situation, I either go with a big one that I can fit a lot in if I can taking it to my parents or to a friend's house or a small one if I'm trying to be discreet. Often at weddings, I just want to have a little bit of something really nice and I don't really, you know, it's not like I'm trying to take enough to get drunk or anything like that, but I want a little bit of something more expensive than I assume they will have at the wedding. And so I take something a little bit nicer in a small flask. This next question, a lot of people asking about things I don't like in this episode. Very interesting. What's the harshest tasting whiskey slash bourbon that I've had that was expensive slash rare? 
So this will not be the same answer as the Johnny Walker Blue that I talked about earlier because the Johnny Walker Blue is not harsh by any means. I was just talking about something that disappointed me, whereas this is something that is specifically harsh. You say expensive slash rare, so I am going to go the route of rare for this one. And the harshest one that I've had that was rare, maybe this isn't the harshest, but it's just the one that's coming to mind right now, was Eagle Rare. And Eagle Rare, absolutely delicious, absolutely great in its price range, but just so incredibly hyped that when I bought it, I thought it'd be a lot smoother than it was. And it is the same mash bill as Buffalo Trace, but it is older, and that extra time in the barrel does give it a little bit more of a spice a little bit more of a harshness that at the time I really didn't enjoy. Um, I really was not a big fan of it when I first got it. It has grown on me since, and I do enjoy it, but it just, as far as how rare it was and how hyped up it was, I expected more from it, to be entirely honest. Still love Eagle Rare. Everybody knows I like a lot of Buffalo Trace's stuff, but everybody also knows, if you've been listening to the show, that I think a lot of their stuff is overhyped, especially on social media nowadays. The next question, have I experimented with home blending whiskey? I have a little bit, actually, with uh, just like a mason jar and trying a few different types and seeing what kind of flavors I could get out of it. It's something I definitely see myself getting deeper into moving forward because the first, I, I tried it a couple times, and I had a lot of fun with it. I thought it was really interesting. You can also just do this with like an Infinity Bottle, which I do have Infinity Bottles, but the purpose of my Infinity Bottles thus far has not been to try to make a nice blend. I've used them for either just seeing what happens if I throw all these things in the same bottle or like the show where I'm just tracking all the whiskeys that we've had on the show and throwing them all into the bottle. But in terms of actually trying to blend something to see what it tastes like, yes, I have done it. Um, I thought it was a lot of fun. It was pretty neat. And I think, uh, neat, not, not an intentional pun. And I think I'm going to get a little bit more into it moving forward probably because it's a good time. So for those of you who haven't tried it, I recommend maybe giving it a try if you're willing to sacrifice a little bit from a few bottles and see what kind of a flavor you can come up with. Pretty neat little sub hobby within the whiskey drinking hobby. So I'm going to skip ahead to a question because it's pretty important for the next question. But the one that I'm skipping to is, what are my thoughts on Elijah Craig Toasted Barrel? My thoughts on Elijah Craig Toasted are that I would love to try it, but I have not yet. And that's the extent of my thoughts on that one. Hopefully at some point I will be able to try it, but not as of right now. But the next question, which is why I had to skip to that question, was have I had Elijah Craig Barrel Proof or Toasted? My thoughts on them if I have. So I just covered that I haven't had Toasted. But Elijah Craig Barrel Proof, I absolutely have had. I enjoy it quite a bit. It's got a strong alcohol to it, but it is barrel proof. And if you'd like to hear my more in-depth opinion on it, you actually can hear that. I did a full episode on it. And that was episode 64 of this podcast. Not very long ago at all. So if you want my more in-depth opinion of Elijah Craig Barrel Proof, you can hop back to that episode and hear my full review of it where I talk about it with my guest. This next question is short and simple. Do I need a bourbon buddy? I have a lot of bourbon buddies. I think all of you guys are my bourbon buddies because I drink bourbon and talk to you through a microphone. Um, But I do have some bourbon buddies in my area as well. So if you want to be my bourbon buddy, all you got to do is listen to the podcast. And if you want to be an even closer bourbon buddy, you can rate it or review the show like we talked about in that earlier question. That would be pretty cool. 
The next question, trying to stir up trouble in my marriage. No, I'm just kidding. Does my wife get mad about me buying more bottles? Not really. I wouldn't say mad. Um, I think she understands whenever I spend money on a bottle, but I'm also careful about it. I make a lot of jokes about impulse buys, and I would totally be lying if I said I don't impulse buy sometimes, especially if I have the chance to get something allocated. But very rarely does she get mad at me. Um, More so, she just runs the finances for a lot of things. And she'll say, hey, we got to tighten up ship a little bit with buying all these bottles of whiskey. And I'll say, okay, I'll tighten it up for a little while. So she, I wouldn't say gets mad at me. It's not like it causes actual like strife or arguments most of the time. I better knock on wood there. But uh, no, I will say on like a more serious note, if it's causing problems in your relationship, the amount of money that you're spending on whiskey, obviously there's always the chance that you're just with somebody who is very prudent is maybe the way I want to put this or doesn't like your hobby or doesn't think your hobby is important and doesn't want you to do that. That's always possible. And I'm not talking to those people right now when I say this, but to the people who maybe don't care what their wife says, don't care that they're being irresponsible. I highly recommend uh, you do a little bit more thinking about the money that you spend on whiskey. I get it. I know how hobbies are. I have quite a few whiskeys to be even saying this, but the fact of the matter is I do put a lot of thought into which ones I buy. I don't just buy anything because I want to try it. Um, usually it has to serve a couple purposes. Maybe somebody requested it. Maybe it's going to be an episode on the show, or maybe it's a special occasion or something like that. The next question, other than American Oak, what is a favorite cask finish for a bourbon? And then they give, for example, Angel's Envy. Actually, speaking of Angel's Envy, that's probably going to be the one that I pick because it was my first finished bourbon, my first love in terms of finished bourbon. And that is a port wine cask that they age Angel's Envy in. And I love it. I actually really enjoy port wine. So that would be another reason why port wine is a great finish for me because I love the flavors that it gives the bourbon because I love the flavors that port wine in general has. So I would say that's probably at the top of the list for me. But I would like to expand a bit more into the finished bourbon realm. Um, So we'll see. Maybe that's a little bit of a spoiler, not too much of a spoiler. For something that will be coming up, I I do want to be trying some more uh, finished bourbons here in the future. The next question is, have I ever had Anita's Choice? And the person says it's from their local distillery and they're about to try it soon themselves. I have not had Anita's Choice before, but a quick search appears to show that it is from the Burnt Church Distillery, which is located in South Carolina. I have not had it, nor do I think I've seen it locally. As I always mention, Ohio can be really difficult to get some things. I'm going to look it up real quick, honestly, and see if it's available near me. It does not appear to be available near me. So no, I have not had it, but I would like to try it at some point. It looks like they have some pretty solid branding. The bottle looks interesting. It's piqued my interest. And so if I do see it, perhaps I will be giving it a try. The last question that we have, last but certainly not least, I actually really like this question because it's something that I've hinted at but never truly just taken a moment to discuss. And that is, is it common to like the first few sips of a whiskey and then later sips you dislike the flavors that appear? When you say common, I don't want to say like, oh yeah, that's common, it happens all the time. But I would say yes, it's common in that I think most whiskey drinkers experience this with some whiskeys. Um, I absolutely have whiskeys where this happens to me. I believe Pendleton, I have mentioned, starts to kind of build a bitterness on the back of your tongue. There was definitely a scotch I did recently where I said the same thing. It builds this type of bitterness. And this happens sometimes. And you can also have the opposite happen, which is 
something that not a lot of people think to judge when it comes to a whiskey. A lot of people will sit down, they'll try it, and they'll say, this is what I think of this whiskey. But something to think about is, as you continue to drink it over the course of an entire glass or maybe two glasses, does it continue to taste the same? And if not, does it get better or worse? Because this can happen sometimes. As I've mentioned, I've definitely pointed out on the show multiple times where a whiskey gets worse the more I continue to drink it. Something that I haven't done a great job of pointing out but does happen sometimes is some whiskeys get better. The main idea is as you continue drinking the whiskey, certain flavors you're going to get used to and they're going to kind of dull down. And certain flavors are going to, instead of dulling down, they're going to kind of build on your palate. And the ones that die down ideally should be the less appealing ones. And the ones that build up ideally should be the more appealing ones. But sometimes you have the flip-flop of that. And that has happened with multiple different whiskeys where maybe it's got this nice fruitiness, but it's also got this weird bitterness. The fruitiness, I start to kind of get used to, and I don't taste it as much as I continue to sip it. But the bitterness continues to build on my palate and maybe even feel almost like there's a film on my tongue of this taste. Kind of like if you've ever had like stale sugar, like that taste on your tongue that feels like a film. That kind of a thing can happen with an unappealing flavor. So is it common? In the way that you're asking, probably. I am kind of assuming the intent of your question. But yes, I would say that it is common. It is common for most whiskey drinkers to experience this at least once where you try a whiskey and you continue drinking it and it actually gets worse. But keep an eye out for those bottles where it actually gets better because those are fantastic. That is all I've got for questions. So once again, thank you to everybody who submitted them. Let's round out this episode with the mystery whiskey tasting where you can try to guess what it is that I'm drinking. So this whiskey, once again, has a very strong white sugary candy type taste to it. Maybe a little bit of like a fruitiness almost like cherry, and it has a little bit of a bitterness to it, a little bit of a harshness, and it certainly has not the smoothest finish in the world for the proof that it is. If you haven't guessed specifically what it is yet, hopefully you narrowed it down that it's, I haven't mentioned anything earthy or grassy. Um, A lot of times, malty, earthy, grassy, bready, those come with scotches. This is a difficult one though. And I also haven't mentioned bakery type flavors, um, strong vanilla, strong caramel. I did mention some darker fruits, but not as much as you might expect with a bourbon. So I'm going to give you the hint that it's not a bourbon. And maybe that narrows it down just a little bit that this is actually a Canadian whiskey. And today I am drinking Pike Creek 10 year, which is finished in rum casks. Now, I mentioned this doesn't have the greatest finish or anything like that, but this is a pretty inexpensive whiskey. So hopefully you guys were able to guess it. I did have this on the show with the Whiskey Chasers in the collaboration episode that we did. So if you haven't heard that episode, feel free to go back and listen to it if you're interested in the Pike Creek, if you're interested in those flavor notes that I mentioned. But at the very least, hopefully that helped you to get a little bit better at guessing what a whiskey is based on the notes. This can help you with blind tastings and with trying to pick out maybe what types of a whiskey you want, what types of notes you can expect from different types of whiskey. That's the goal with all that. Plus, I think it's just a little bit of a fun thing to throw in there. 
as always, thank you guys who have submitted questions. Thank you guys who support the show. You can submit a question, as I mentioned, on Instagram on Wednesdays to my story through the question sticker that I post on my story. And then I can answer your specific question right here on the show. But that's all that I've got for this episode today. So thank you guys once again for listening. I will leave you with learn to drink, drink to learn. Thank you for listening to this episode of Whiskey Noobs. If you like the show, please make sure to leave a five-star rating or review to help grow the show and get the word out. You can also find more Whiskey Noobs content on Instagram at whiskey underscore noobs and on TikTok at whiskey noobs podcast. If you want to drink right along with me, make sure to join the email list by sending an email to whiskey noobs podcast at gmail.com with a subject line saying email list. You will receive monthly emails with a list of the whiskeys that will be featured throughout the month so that you can buy them ahead of time and drink right along with the show. Once again, thanks for listening to this episode. The Whiskey Noobs podcast does not support underage or otherwise irresponsible consumption of alcohol.